0: How am I not even halfway through yet? Jesus Christ. Record now. <laughs> my Spectacular Life. A memoir in the key of storytelling by Thomas Rose. Chapter 3. Third time's a chapter. Chapter 3 is all about my rise to stardom. This is where I go from nobody to somebody, from John Doe to John Dore mi Fa Sol, La, Tito, from Thomas D.UI to Thomas DUI Heart Music Awards. Now, as you recall, I'd written an album using lyrics from Edward, but my talent. I had the master tapes of the recording, but I needed to find a way to get discovered. If there were any aspiring types listening to this, I was just like you, trying to get one foot through the door. But the door was covered in spikes, and I was wearing flip-flops. I decided to just sit down and call every record label I could think of. Geffen, Atlantic. Those were the only two I could remember at first. I was a little drunk. I called both of them, and neither answered. They're always trying to keep the dreamers down. But would I give up? No. I remembered there's a third record label, Sony. And they had offices, wouldn't you know it, right where I was in New York City. I decided to head down to that Sony office the next day, right after my breakfast beers, but before my lunch schnapps. My lunch—I'm going to retake that word. Just the word schnapps. <clears throat> schnapps. Okay, uh, I'm going to spike it for an edit point. <laughs> okay, cool. So just take out. We'll take out this too. I guess I have to do it. <laughs> I wanted to be sharp. I started drinking a lot at this time, but it was okay. I was in control of it. I wasn't an alcoholic like Edward. So that day, I marched on down to the Sony office. I remember it like it was yesterday. The office was on Madsen Avenue, which reminded me of my favorite president, George W. Bush, the mad son of George H.W. Bush. Before I went into the office, I paused to reflect on just how far I had come. It's important to really take in your surroundings, especially when you're a little tipsy. A homeless man asked me for some change, and I laughed, because he had no idea how much my life had changed. That laugh gave me the courage to finally go into that Sony building. I walked in there and I said, I'm not leaving this building until I get a record deal. Everyone was so excited for me. The security guards actually picked me up to celebrate. Then they placed me outside where I had to wait until I got an appointment. So I called and called, but they didn't answer. It was looking hopeless. What should I do? Quit on my dream? Become another has been lied down in the gutter i was at the end of my rope and that rope was covered in spikes and i was wearing flip-flops on the way back to my apartment i stopped to get an irish coffee so i could focus i thought about it long and hard I realized there were two roads I could go down if I wanted to get discovered and become a famous musician like I'd always dreamed. Road A, I could put in the work, you know, go play that piano and sing at every... Retake. <clears throat> go play that piano and sing. Well, now the rhythm's off. Retake. Go play that piano and sing at every venue and bar in town. Ah! Work day and night at my art, immerse myself in the music scene, and slowly build connections by displaying my talent and work ethic. Get discovered on merit with the hard-earned respect of my peers. Or, there was option B. It should say road B. Road B. Or there was Road B. Get discovered because my dad has a connection at a record label. I totally forgot about that. See, my dad had a friend at Universal who owed him a favor, and he could set up a meeting for me. I mean, of course I was going to take Road B. That's a way better road. You may be wondering, how would... I'd forgotten such an important detail. My dad had this connection. Well, I was drunk all the time back then. It was the mid to late 2000s. So I put on my big boy pants and I called my daddy. After swatting away his pathetic attempts to catch up, I convinced my dad to set up a meeting at Universal for the next day. The meeting wouldn't be until 2pm, which made it super embarrassing when I slept through it. Who sleeps till 3pm? he asked the next day. You could tell he'd never been a musician. I thought that by missing that meeting, I'd missed my one shot at getting in with the record industry. So I just said fuck it and spent the next two years in the New York ecstasy scene. The whole thing was kind of a blur. Late night partying, drugged out, getting kicked out of the club for wearing flip-flops. I thought it would last forever. But one morning, I woke up and remembered why I came to New York in the first place. I didn't want to be just some drugged out guy partying every night. I wanted to be a drugged out, famous guy partying every night. So that's why I left the New York ecstasy scene. It was because of my ambition. It wasn't because of those false rumors that said I was dealing bad stuff and it caused a few deaths. I swallowed the last of my drugs. Then I swallowed my pride and called my daddy. He was so annoying on the phone. He was saying, you know, where have you been for the last two years? Your mother's been worried sick. I said, if she's sick, get her to a hospital, then get me to this record label. It's time for me to become famous. He scheduled the meeting for the next day, this time at 4 p.m., which made it even worse when I slept through it. Luckily, this time I was able to blame it on the secretary. I, uh, I convinced the people at the record label that I'd showed up and she wouldn't let me in. She actually got fired because of that. Isn't that funny? The next day, I finally got to meet the guy from the record label. His name was Julian Fox. He was in A&R, which I believe stands for Artists and Riches. He was one of these classic New York City music industry types. Always looks unhappy to see you, never answers your calls. But I knew we'd have a lifelong relationship. He told me, I'm gonna give it to you straight. Look. Look. When your dad and I were kids, your dad saved my life. You see, we were out swimming in the lake, and... At this point in the story, I started to drift off, because we weren't talking about me. So I'm not sure exactly how my dad saved Julian's life, but it couldn't be that interesting. After a few more seconds of blah, 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 he finally shut the fuck up about my dad and started to talk about what I was there for. My big record deal. He kept hammering this point home. He'd say, you know, the only reason I'm doing this is because I've always owed your dad. You see, the way that he... Ugh, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, I got the deal. And a big one at that. Can you believe I got a record deal, even though the guy from the label hadn't heard any of my songs? I couldn't wait to tell other musicians about this. I knew they'd love me for it. So I played the master tapes for Julian. He said that he really liked the lyrics. He must not have mentioned the music because he didn't have an ear for it. He wanted me to self-title the album but I demanded a subtitle. So as you know, the final title is, of course, Thomas Rose, This Piano is on Fire. It was so hard to sit still for the cover. Ten songs that would forever be part of music history. You remember them, of course. Uh, Why Won't He Leave Me Alone, Away from My Family, Feeling Unsafe, Doubting Thomas, I Want to Live, these were all hits. The funny thing is, Edward had run away, so I don't even know what his lyrics were about. Especially on the single. I'll play a little bit of it as a treat. It was called If I Ever Disappear. If you need your memory refreshed, it goes a little something like this. Okay. Oh, my God, I have to restart it so people know I can play my own fucking song. Jesus Christ, I'm so tense. Okay. If I ever disappear, I didn't run away. I didn't run away. Don't listen to what the bad man say. It's his fault. Look for me. I just miss my family. If I ever disappear, I didn't run away. What could that even have been about? Edward must have been high when he wrote that one. I never saw him smoking weed with my own two eyes, but you listen to some of these lyrics and you know, uh, that guy is a friend of the ganj. But that's neither here nor there. I had my album coming out. Using nothing but my talent, Edward's lyrics, and my father's connection, I was doing it. Julian even set up a big record release show for me at a place called Webster Hall. I'd never heard of it. I didn't see much live music. There was only one problem. I'd never played these songs live. I mean, the last concert I played was a high school battle of the bands. So I only had 90 days to figure out how to put on an unforgettable show. I decided to do the research. I bought a book called Performing for Dummies. It wasn't until about 70 days later I realized that book was about ventriloquism. Me and my puppet were fucked. I tried to write my hero, Bruce Springsteen, to ask him for advice, but the letter kept getting returned to sender. Sometimes I wonder if he even really lives on Thunder Road. The show was rapidly approaching, and I had no idea what to do. Try and perform in front of a smaller crowd to hone my craft? No thank you. Then I realized something. I could do a bunch of cocaine. I've seen music documentaries. That always helps. So each day, during my allotted practice time, I would take a bigger and bigger line getting ready for the big night. When it finally came, I was a nervous wreck. I know it's hard to imagine. Singer-songwriter Thomas Rose nervous before his first record release show. But it's true. I was trembling like Jacob Tremblay. I called Julian Fox from the record label and I said, cancel the show, I just can't do it. He decided to inspire me with a speech about how if I didn't play the show, I'd be in breach of contract and he would take me to court. (laughs) Well, that lit a fire under my sweet ass. I put down the phone, got into a taxi cab, and headed straight for my cocaine dealer. Once I got the supplies, I offered him a free ticket to my big show. He said no, but... In my experience, whenever you offer someone free tickets to your show, they always say no. It's a cultural thing for Americans. I arrived at Webster Hall and waited 40 minutes in line. I didn't realize there was a separate door for artists. It's funny the things you miss when you don't read emails. But finally, I got backstage, and there was my whole team ready for me. Well, it was just me and Julian, but two people could be a team. Ever see beach volleyball? I was a little late for my set time, so it was time to do this. I took out my rosary and prayed to God there was still cocaine in it. As luck would have it, there was enough for one last bump. Maybe it was saved for me by the rock gods. Did my voice sound weird there? Leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it. Just leave this, who cares? Uh, I went out on that stage, and I saw the crowd. Now, they were drunk and agitated, like me. I walked up to that piano, and I hit one note. That's when I realized it was all wrong. I could not play this show. I marched backstage, and I started crying. Because I was thinking about a sad movie. Just then... I heard something from the crowd. They were all yelling something in unison. Julian said, Well, yeah, of course they're going to boo you. They've been waiting an hour. There wasn't even an opener. And you're refusing to play. But what Julian didn't realize is they weren't saying boo. They were saying saying Bruce. I reminded them of my hero, Bruce Springsteen. I would have to write him another letter about this. I went on stage, and I played the hell out of my first song, Squirrel in the Car. After that song, about half the crowd left. They must have all been music insiders calling to tell everyone about the next big thing. The rest of the show went great, people slowly filtering out after each song to go tell people about me. It was magic. I left everything I had out on that stage that night, including my cocaine, which I had to go back for. I went to sleep that night a happy man, and when I woke up, I'd be a famous man. But something terrible happened the record was released and no one listened to it I'm telling you this thing did worse numbers than Edward on the PSAT I was flabbergasted this was my life's work and people were ignoring it I called Julian to yell at him, and he said, Oh, what do you expect? You know, you've only played one show. The songs aren't even that good. I only put this out for your dad. Look, I gotta go focus. We got a big launch next week. And that's when I realized something. Big launch. That's what I needed. A big launch. And also, a big lunch. I was hungry. I came up with a brilliant plan. The next day, I went to the record label to find out what this big launch was. Now, apparently, they had this new young female artist named Tatua, and the way they were going to launch Tatua's career was they were going to put her album on every phone in America. I thought that idea is stupid who's going to want to hear an album they didn't ask for by someone named Tatua? But what if the album they didn't ask for was from Thomas Rose? Now that is brilliant. So I went to the head of the record label's office. I told him, I'm going to stay in here until I convince you to put my album on the phones instead of hers. He was tough to convince, but I really inspired him. You see, I have a way with words, and he was quite the captive audience, especially when I handcuffed him. At the end of it, we came to an understanding. He would release my album onto every phone in the world, and I would release his family. From the boiler room in my apartment. And that's how it happened. I was going to be an overnight success. But one year later, I would be dead tired of the music industry. <clears throat> Stop recording. Oh my god. At least I'm more than... At least I'm halfway